Hello and welcome to The Pathway. My name is Tim Deeks, and in this podcast, we dive deep into the lives of interesting characters from a wide range of backgrounds. No matter if the guest is a leader in business, sport, media, or politics, everyone has a pathway through life. And it is my ambition that through each guest's unique story, you'll be able to take something away to put into action on your own path. So let's start walking. Today's pathway is with Graham Holm, aka The Money Mentor. Graham began his career in finance at the age of 18 and has gone on to create an incredibly successful business, Infinity Group. Ultimately, it helps people master their money. He didn't grow up around it though. As a self-described housing commission kid from Wollongong, he's transformed his pathway into something very special and I'm incredibly grateful for his time. Welcome, Graham. Thanks, Tim. Pleasure to be here. So I want to do it in two parts, if that's all right. I'd love to talk about your pathway because I find it fascinating. And then it's not every day you get the money mentor on. So I'd love to ask you some money questions after. Sure. Far so, away. Kicking things off, what was your first job? My first job? That's a good one. Let me go way, way back. There was a combination, actually. Yeah, besides playing, I, I played you know international level soccer as a, as a kid. So I, uh, I did a bit of you know indoor soccer, outdoor soccer, refereeing which was a bit of hobby cash in hand growing up as a teenager. First official job was night fill, stacking shelves at Big W. What did that teach you, especially working on the nights? Uh, yeah, look, it was actually interesting. I'm a pretty savvy cat coming from, from you know, a pretty rough beginning. So it taught me, I mean, I needed my own money because the family didn't have any. So I was like, should I go out and get some money? But uh, it taught me pretty quickly the way that the roster was structured. The hardest workers, you know, you'd call in every afternoon between like one and two. So I was at school at the time and you'd call in and whoever called in first got the shifts that night. But I also learned that, you know, they had X amount of hours to do the work in the shift. But if I got all the work done, I was done and I could leave and I'd still get paid. So <laughs> I used to get in there and, you know, I'd be the first person to ring and get on the roster. And then I'd get in there and unload, you know, if I had eight pallets of stock in a certain section, whether it was confectionery or clothes or whatever it was, I'd get, you know, whether it's a six-hour shift, I'd get it done in three hours and then I'd be out of there and get paid for the work. I love that. <laughs> so very it, it taught me, I guess, a bit, maybe a bit of innovation. I yeah. sort of said to the manager, I said, I don't think this will take that long. And I remember him laughing at me saying, oh, mate, you'll be here for a while. But uh, I said, well, what happens if I finish early? He said, you can, I'll sign off on you and you can go. So I was like, great, I'll get home and do some study. <laughs> I love the efficiency of it. That's fantastic. Yeah. But it also taught me teamwork because, you know, we'd have a floor manager for a section and X amount of pallets of stock to get on the shelves and rotate stuff. You know, if it was confection that went off, you know, you'd, you'd learn that this stuff would have to come to the front and this and that. So the processes and teamwork and structures and systems. And, and then, you know, the efficiency bit was something that we brought to the table instead of just being a teenager throwing stuff on a shelf, a shelf and not caring about it. I, you know, everything I do, I do to the upper limits. I have to be the best at what I do. There's no second place for me. So, it, it teamwork, efficiency, so, and working hard because you go to school all day, you play sport maybe after school, and then you go and stack shelves when everyone else is in bed or watching TV. I mean, you know, taught me hard work at a young age. Uh, I believe that. Now, what led your interest in money? I said that, you know, off the top, you got into it straight when you were 18. You certainly weren't born into it. No, no. Look, I come from, uh, you know, I was born a single mother and abusive father, you know, domestic violence as a six-month-old baby. And, and we had no money, no money at all. In fact, you know, we were probably below the poverty line, uh, eating dry wheat bix out of a box as a kid. So it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty rough and pretty sad. 
But, you know, for, for all the kids listening to this, that you have two options every single day when you wake up. You can be bruised and battered or you can be blessed. And I choose blessed every day. I wake up, I can see, I can hear, I can breathe, I can walk. So I've got opportunity that a lot of people in the world do not have when they wake up every day. So for me, lack of money and lack of understanding of money was a huge thing in the housing commission estate that I grew up in. You know, drugs, alcohol, all sorts of crazy things because people just didn't understand money. And, you know, when they didn't understand money or they didn't have it, the natural thing was to do silly things in life. And those silly things in life had, you know, pretty serious repercussions. Mm. So growing up not having it, I, I guess it made me obsessed with trying to figure out how to make it. But more importantly, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. So I got really, really deep into it at a young age. I had an injury. I couldn't get into a professional sporting career anymore with football. And so I went straight into banking because I knew that I needed to understand money and how to make it, how to keep it, and how to make it have babies and multiply, so to speak. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a really interesting point that you bring up, especially that you but you had to self-learn it. Why do you think they don't teach financial literacy in schools? Yeah, anyone that get gets a chance, I'd love them to read anything Robert Kiyosaki they can. But one of my favorite books is why A-grade students work for C-grade students. Because there's so much pressure on your podcast, The Pathway. There's so much pressure in this life pathway to get phenomenal grades and be textbook smart and learn Pythagoras theorem and algebra and Archimedes screw and you know study George Orwell's Animal Farm and all this sort of political satire mm. and blah, blah, blah. I have used none of that shit in my career. And funny enough, I bought my first home at 21 after starting a banking career at 18. My friends were still finishing a university degree with a hex debt. I was gainfully employed and saved the deposit to purchase my first home. And also, I realized that that career could actually put me through tertiary studies paid for by my employer twice as fast as the average degree. That's such valuable advice. I, I really, really, you know, I'm always looking for a shortcut. I got the award this year as the most innovative financial service provider in Australia out of 20,000 brokers. And I'm always, people go, oh, there's no shortcuts. Well, there is an efficient way to do things. There's a hard way. There's a, a shortcut that might not get the best result, but there is an efficient, maximum efficiency in everything you do in life. So for me, it was like, how do I get the most efficient result in everything I want to do, achieve and be and who I want to be? And for me, it was about learning money and then teaching others money. And I went, well, hang on. If the bank can pay for my qualifications and I get on the job experience, I get paid to learn, they pay for my studies, and I get a much faster sign off on my accreditations, I'm mad to go to uni without actually liking the job and trying it. A hundred percent. And I love that. And that's such a, a great message, working and learning at the same time, but also getting that income coming in. Now, I want to ask you about money directly. So there's a there's a misconception about money. It's it's you know it's one of those things you don't talk about. What, why is money taboo? Look, it's taboo because people don't understand it, and they think you know money is the root of all evil. No, the lack of it is. If you can't provide basic health care for your family and you know medical care and education and warmth and comfort and food, that's evil, so to speak. But we're learning so much rubbish and crap that we won't use yet. People don't know how to register an ABN, set up shareholders agreements for a company, start their own business on the side, you know, 
they have to put a percentage aside of what they earn for tax. You know, if you start stacking shelves at Big W or Woolies, they'll take the tax out for you. Yeah. But what if you're a contractor or you, you want to start your own business and people get into trouble? And it's, it's, it's interesting. I just think it's so taboo because the old saying, money makes the world go round, I really do believe, truly, and so I construe that the less informed society is, the more successful the economy is, if that makes sense. Mm. Because most people are tap taparoo. They spend whatever they get. Human beings are impulsive creatures. We earn it, we blow it. We earn it, we blow it. Gucci shoes with bees on them, all the brand name gear, a cool car, but we don't think about you know next week or next year. So I think that there's a real lack of financial literacy. Hence, you know, I've been traveling the world, speaking on stage, a couple of books now. You know, Richard Branson, Robert Kiyosaki, you name it, talking with these amazing people, Tony Robbins about get people getting a financial education that's relevant to real life. And it is taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. And I think nobody talks about it because 99% of us truly just don't bloody understand it. Hi, it's Tim's mum, Mandy here, and I hope you're enjoying The Pathway. If you love listening to Tim as much as I do, please subscribe and rate this podcast while you're listening. Back to you, Tim. Now, you mentioned some of those people Right, like Richard Branson. I know that you've, you know, you've been with Tony Robbins, um, Robert Kiyosaki, who we spoke about. What is an identifiable feature that you see in all of them that they have in common? Yeah, good question, Tim. Really good question. There's a lot of things when you spend time with these people at events and backstage. And one of the key things that I find all of these successful people have in common is that success leaves clues. So I love being around them, one. But all of these people, have invested and continue to invest significantly in learning every single day, every single day. Now, and that's across everything. It's across their health. It's across their finances and wealth. It's their relationships, their communication. There's so many things we don't get taught at school that when we go into the real world, we struggle with. For example, sake, at school, we're taught not to copy, not to collaborate, and to do everything on your own and get scored on that if you can memorize it. Yet we get into business, into the real world, and my team right now are in a meeting collaborating, trying to solve some problems and innovate together as a group, sharing their information about how they can improve a process for a customer. So I, I get baffled by it that we're taught the opposite of what we actually do in real life sometimes. So I think you know the, the key thing they all have in common is they're constantly learning they're constantly growing. And I always say you're growing or you're dying. Don't become a tree. Don't grow roots. You need to just try to grasp something you love or you care about or passionate and, and run with that every single day, whether it's about your health, whether you learn something about what you're eating or whether you're exercising or whether you learn something financially about how you're tracking or how you could be tracking. But they all constantly invest in growing and learning every single day. That's something that I know that is really, really a passion of yours is learning. And, and I know that we, we've met through that. Now, someone sitting around who's looking to get financially fit, but just doesn't know where to start. What is one step that can really assist someone right now? Yeah, good question, Tim. The first step, I mean, besides coming along and spending a couple of days with somebody like myself or an expert in your area, is to actually sit down and take stock of everything they earn and everything they spend. It's pretty easy. Just pull up your bank statement or print it out and go through everything that come in and everything that went out. 
And I think that people will be actually really bloody surprised, like, wow, I'm spending everything that's coming in. Oh, hang on a minute. I'm saving 30% of what's coming in. So the first step would be jotting down everything you spend and everything you earn and seeing what's left. Once you've done that, again, this is the efficiency piece, you can effectively cut corners. Because if you realize that you're spending $24 a day on eating out through work, say, or, you know, 10 bucks a day or eight, six bucks a day at lunch at school, all of a sudden, hang on, I'm spending 30, 40, 80, whatever it is a week, you can get some efficiencies around that and go, well, hang on, what if I bought this or made this and that would last me two or three days? So as soon as you start to analyze things, so one of my favorite sayings is, if it's not inspected, it's not expected. So if you don't inspect your financial performance, how is it expected to get a financial result? Did this come naturally to you or is this something that you've constantly worked on day by day? Look, a little bit of both. It wasn't natural. I had to work really, really hard at it, you know, growing up and not having a lot of things. And, you know, all my stuff came from St. Vincent's to Paul and Salvation Army. I mean, we, we, we were a big supporter of the, the uh, Kmart wishing tree mm, every year. I've seen that, Because yeah. a lot of my, yeah, my presents came, I got a present, not presents, my present each year for a boy that was nine to 12 years old came from the wishing tree. So we donate hundreds of presents for that every year because it's near and dear to me. So it's a combination of both. It's, it's curiosity and inquisitive, but it's also almost forced upon growth. I had to figure it out because the only other option was to stay on Centrelink for our entire lives and live in a fibro housing commission shack that was hot in summer and cold in winter mm. and not healthy. You know, what, what other option did I have? I could settle. I could roll over and settle, but it would have been a pretty boring life. Thank you so much for your honesty. That's, that's fantastic. Now, finish up because I know you're an incredibly busy man. Finish these sentences for me. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning is? Read. Straight away or coffee first or? Straight away. So read slash meditate, depending on how I'm feeling when I wake up. First thing I usually do is pick up a book and read a few pages um, or meditate, one of the two. And I struggle with meditation, so I usually read. That's good. Sets you up for the day. All the knowledge in the world is in a library. Now, people these days think it's in Google, but there's a lot of rubbish on Google that's not correct. So you follow successful people, you read things, that, you know, whether it's podcasts or whatever it may be. But the first thing I do in one form or another is read, whether it's policy or, you know, legal compliance changes in my business I know I need to read. The first thing I do every single morning, I like to call it mind feeding. So with that in mind, the book I would recommend the most to people is? Um, this is an interesting one. Out of all the books I've ever read, two books, I'm going to say Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Really, really topical for everybody you know, following your program and listening in um, because it talks about the differences between a wealthy mindset and a poor mindset. Uh, and funny story because Robert Kiyosaki's father was a professor of education, mm. but he was his poor dad. And his rich dad was a, a trader. So I'd say Rich Dad, Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki. But the other book that's been a game changer for me in life that I read several times a year is called The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf Dobelli, R-O-L-F-D-O-B-E-L-L-I. It's a New York Times bestseller. The reason I love it is I've got a short attention span and each chapter is only about three pages. 
and it get on teaches you. Yeah, and it's an amazing book. And there's another there's another two or three after it by him. But it's an amazing handbook to life. Um, for example, it teaches you something called the stunt cost fallacy. You sink so much time and money and effort into a relationship or a marketing campaign or whatever it may be or studies, and it's just going nowhere. But because you've invested so much time, energy, and money, you don't cut the bad study or the bad education or bad relationship or, or campaign. And sometimes you should cut and sometimes you should invest. So that book's something that I read usually once every three or four months. I just pick it up and I go to random chapters and in the mornings or bed or whatever at night and I just it's two, three pages and I really just sink into that chapter and relate it to life experience. And that book has been instrumental in my life for the very short, sharp chapters. Mm, I'm going to get onto it. The best purchase I've ever made under $100 is, I had to ask the money mentor this question. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to, again, I'm going to say uh, Robert Kiyosaki and it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant and, oh, there's another one. I picked up three books, so about 25 bucks each on sale in my banking career before I left the bank and started my own company because I hated what the banks were doing to people. And I picked up those books and I read one and got consumed in it and then the other and then the other. And it completely changed my entire mindset and view on the financial world. Completely flipped it. And I'd been in a banking career then for about nine and a half years. And it broke everything I thought I'd learned in nine and a half years. Amazing. Graham, you are an incredibly generous man. I really appreciate your time and thank you for your advice, your wisdom and your stories. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, tell your friends and join me next time on The Pathway.